0: Three, two, one. Hello, what? Blah.
1: And again. <laughs> I, I got Five, it. I got it.
0: <laughs> four, three, dos, uno.
2: The reality is additive does not do its adding anywhere near as fast as machining can do its subtracting.
0: business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zenger. Now, let's make some chips.
1: Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zenger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in the studio with my friend and co-host Jim Carr. Yeah, and I'm we here. yeah, and we have for the second time our special VIP guest Pete Zelinsky. Yeah,
0: welcome Pete.
2: Oh, thank you. Welcome yeah, back. Thanks.
0: Yeah, welcome back and thanks for uh sitting with us today and uh giving us all this inspiration to equip uh, these manufacturing leaders. It it's great to have you here. So before we get started, I just wrote a question down, and I, I just, Pete, I just want to hear in your own words what what guided you in the direction of manufacturing and machining more specifically. Um, I know you had a mechanical engineering; you you were educated in that, but where where did it all start? If, sure, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners.
2: Uh yeah. So you know, what guided me into manufacturing? The truth of it is, uh, really. It's more that I found myself in manufacturing, studied mechanical engineering at the University of Cincinnati. I worked pretty much all through college in a co-op position in a machining laboratory in, it's now called GE Aviation. It was GE Aircraft Engines at the time. Um, Love CNC machining. Um, never stopped thinking, have never stopped thinking that CNC machining is absolutely cool. It is cool. Um, I like it. (laughs) The thing though was, um, I came to realize that if I stayed with engineering, my work wouldn't include something that I also love, which is communication, media, writing, in high school, I was a nerd in a hundred different ways. Um, maybe didn't realize that at the time, but one of the things that I tried to do um, was see if I could sell freelance articles to magazines. Um, really, just, yeah, I'd, I'd love, really? I love the written word. I love, um, I love being a writer. Love the whole idea of it. Uh, let myself get convinced, maybe correctly, that it's risky to try to build a career off of that. I had the the math skills, the science skills, what we call STEM abilities. And so I went into engineering. I was not really cut out to be a really good engineer, and the realization of that made me question that premise that I couldn't make my way as a writer. I tried to test that, whether I could or not. Immediately after college, I found a job with a marketing communications company that serves industrial clients. The company today is called Kemble & Rude. And for I, I met the modern machine shop people through there for most of my career. I have been an editor with Modern Machine Shop Magazine. So what I did, Jim, is I accidentally put together this really nice combination of skills. I have the the manufacturing and the machining background, and I have the communication skills too. So And then I could, you loved what you did. And that, that kind of
0: launched my whole career. Yeah, that's kind of funny how it all... Turns around into def- full cycles, full cycle.
2: I actually tell young people that too. Contemplating a career rather than going down a single track career path, where maybe you're competing with a lot of people, are there two weird things you can put together? Is there a chocolate and peanut butter thing you can put together that nobody else has thought of? Right. Uh, so you like, you want to be an attorney? Could you be the attorney that knows something about aircraft? Or you know, is there a combination Niche it out. like that? Niche it- it out a little Niche bit. it out, Niche yeah. it out, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, make it interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Pete. It's important for me to know your background because I think I get to know a little bit more about what's going on inside your head. And I think it's important for for you to share that with our listeners so they can relate to you more when they read those amazing articles in Modern Machine Shop magazine. Well, thank you for that. No, it's true. I, I think it's always important. It gives it a, per, a more personal element too. so But anyway, today we're not talking about Pete, we're talking about additive manufacturing. I know we've talked about this before on podcasts. Yeah, so
1: we had um, John Buckland on the show, who I know Pete's also friends with, and he was in episode 21, so if you go to makingchips.com slash 21, you listen to that episode. And John um, brings together the machining and additive manufacturing and kind of rolls them up together not as separate processes but as like a cohesive product for his customers
2: yeah and let me so yeah we can talk about additive um let me set the stage for that the last episode we did toward the end we had kind of a chance for me to describe what i see as Three deep trends going on in manufacturing. Three A's, as you said. Automation, additive, and atmosphere. Automation, I mean that very broadly. You say automation, you think of a robot, maybe? Yes, absolutely. That's immediately Uh, what I thought of. So... I'd observe there's this whole new generation of automation now building on that. And that's automation for gathering information that was always out there to be seen. But now we have increasingly practical tools for automating the observation of machine activity and automating the analysis of that information. Hmm. So Data driven manufacturing is the term that we use for that. So now digital manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Jim and I have actually spent a
1: lot of time at the DMDII, which is the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Innovation Institute. Institute. And, you know, they're trying to bring a, you know, government and uh, private business together in order to collaborate on exactly that.
2: We can know things now about the relative performance of the various assets in a machining process that it was never practical to know before. And that knowledge is automation and it's every bit as powerful in its own way as the robot is. Additive manufacturing is finding its place as really the ideal means of manufacturing certain types of parts. Right.
0: It's not for everybody. Exactly.
2: Um, and then atmosphere we talked about last time. I see a real culture change going on in manufacturing surrounding staffing, workforces, the encouragement of employees and, uh, the, the training of employees in many cases and, and the environment in which they work. So that whole context is going on. I know additive gets a spotlight a lot. It's yeah, one do you of think various. It's a little
0: overhyped. I, you know, sometimes I do know about it. I, I just think it, I hear it so much. I think people are just trying to throw that word in to make it sound sexy. Is it, is it like that.
1: post-sexy, Jim? <laughs> I don't
0: know. I don't know what it is. I just, I, I'm hearing a lot. I, I believe in it. I, I, know, I know there's a place for it. I, I'm going to listen to what Pete says and I'm going to think more wholeheartedly about the three A's. But I just think that we're making it too big of a deal than what it actually is. Am I right at that?
1: I don't think that every, ma- every machining company needs to say, "I'm going to do additive." right you know, It of oh, back to, my yeah, shop. I mean, it kind of goes back to knowing who you are and being the best at what you do. And if additive isn't part of that formula, don't do it. you know I mean, be the best at something else. So it's still relevant, and somebody's going to be the best at it. But and I think it's going to overtake some of the processes that machining companies do now, you know, especially in prototyping. But yeah, it needs to be talked about. It does. I really, I really
2: think it, and that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. All right. In that little exchange, you guys opened a lot of file folders there. Okay. So there's, there's well, a we, lot to we speak to do there. That. We do that. So yes. the question, is additive manufacturing overhyped? Yeah. That's one of the real challenges of talking about additive. The general business media is interested in additive manufacturing in a way that they've never been interested in a manufacturing technology before. And so as a result of that, it is not difficult to find breathless media coverage of how widespread additive manufacturing is, how quickly it's. Being adopted, how rapidly it's overtaking manufacturing. And the problem with almost all of that general media coverage is well, one problem is it tends to conflate. 3D printing for prototyping and 3D printing for production as though they're the same thing. Completely different. In fact, yeah, one of those applications is way more challenging than the other. And while 3D printing for prototyping is ideal, that's where
0: I see it. It's at place right now. Well, Let's talk about that. That's certainly
2: it's in place right now. It's in widespread use for prototyping. Yep. These 3D printing style processes will have a significant role in production, but that's still being done at the leading edge and is not widespread yet at all. Okay, that's great feedback. That being said, we just had the the company I work for is Gardner Business Media, and uh, it's known for magazines, but we're into events too and lots of ways of putting um, manufacturing communities together. And we just held this Additive Manufacturing Conference in Knoxville in in cooperation with Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And it was a 3D printing event, but it was specifically industrial-focused, all about additive manufacturing of functional parts, um, end-use production, tooling, prototyping only to the extent that it's functional prototype. And the thing about it is I realized that I was hearing several times this thing that is becoming a recurring theme. People saying to me, yeah, you know, Pete, we're, we're really into additive and we can't even talk to you about how much we're using additive. Because the thing is that the, so they're being guarded? Right now, the learning curve investment is so high that companies that figure things out about additive do want to be guarded and don't want to come out with what they're able to do. It is anecdotal, but I'm becoming convinced there is a lot of under-the-radar Additive manufacturing okay. use and development that we're not seeing. There was a uh, a supplier of there was a metal supplier there who was part of a panel discussion, and he made the comment that yeah, you know, five years ago we did zero sales related to additive manufacturing. Now powder metal for additive is twelve percent of our business. That just blew my mind. That is a much farther advance of metal additive manufacturing activity than I might have thought was there. So you out
0: think there. the learning curve is proprietary and people don't want to give away their their secrets.
1: Well, well, Jim, you and I know this because um, in that previous episode with John twenty one, he talked about the fact that he took apart his his three D printer to make it closer to, 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 to yeah to, to tighten up the tolerances yeah. and and he was not willing to even let the no. manufacturer of the three D printer know how he did that. So yes. he's being guarded about that technology, and I I think it's smart to do that. You know, I mean, eventually he knows that um, somebody's going to figure it out and they're going to commercialize that close tolerance three D printer, but for now it gives him a competitive advantage that he shouldn't just, you know, give away.
2: Well, so there is that. So John Bachlin modified his machines. Yep. There's That leads me to a couple things. Another and even more prominent example of modified machines that the company doesn't really talk about. There is a certain labor efficiency in additive manufacturing in some cases. Sometimes there's a lot of finishing work to additive parts that sort of compromises the labor cost savings. But there's a company called Cloud DDM. DDM for direct digital manufacturing. It was just founded this year in Lexington, Kentucky on the grounds of the UPS hub there. And at this company, there is one employee per shift overseeing 100 Production 3D printers. And these are machines that have been specially modified in ways that the owner of the company doesn't, doesn't want to let out. Um, modified in some ways for a little more production efficiency. But the way this company works, customers who want their part 3D printed upload their CAD file. The system at this company automatically assigns the job to a machine. And wow. that, that one, wow. that one employee wow. Unloads parts, does some minimal finishing operations to them and hands them off to UPS for shipping. No kidding. So this one guy is like a farmer. He's going up and down the rows of these 100 machines, he's harvesting. harvesting parts.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, talk about, you know, really taking that, you know, shopping cart experience to manufacturing, you know, that you never would have thought could exist.
2: Yeah. You so, know? so 3D printing, coming back to something you said before, 3D printing for prototyping and that's what it's for. Yeah, that's a huge value to it. But there are also some significant ways that additive manufacturing is going to have an impact on the way parts are made and the way we think about making parts and what we think of as a manufacturable part. And that actually is the real promise of additive manufacturing. Design freedoms that there's no practical way for us to realize today. That's, wow. that's 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 amazing. Is yeah, spinning yeah. One, the one of the things, and here. and
1: I don't know if you can see this implications, but do you do you see additive manufacturing as being a means of keeping manufactured products and labor in the United States as opposed to having to outsource certain manufactured products.
2: But Everything I say here seems to have this caveat in some cases, because it's absolutely true. Of course, that, that but in general terms. Additive, yeah. like any process, has its place and there are parts that it's really good for. In some cases, you could get away from casting and forging. You could instead grow a a near net shape part, actually nearer to net shape than the, a forging might get you.
0: Oh, and, Jeff, I agree with that for
2: sure. Or, or what about yeah. like... Well, you know. and the result of that is, to your question, Jason, a much easier supply chain. You're producing right. your, your near net shape part, not in a forge, which might be a different facility, but maybe right in the same building where it's ultimately going to be machined. Sure. And so do efficiencies like that encourage you to do more manufacturing domestically? I think it, it absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, because like when I think of like
1: cheap plastic or rubber or, you know, polymer parts, I think, okay, those, unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I wouldn't agree with it myself, but those parts are going to be made overseas, they're going to be made in China or something like that. But maybe this is a means of saying, okay, we can make these parts more efficiently via 3D printing eventually here in the United States. Do you see that kind of thing happening?
2: Yeah, I will also say machining's pretty darn efficient and and it's getting more efficient. I mean it's with, already
1: happening, yeah.
2: With the yeah. increasing facility that even that companies chip-making. have to use automation. Well, three uh, access
1: machines are gonna go by the
0: wayside. I don't even think they're gonna be around. Mm-hmm. I think that we're gonna be much more highly technological. There's gonna be you know, it's either a fourth axis, a five axis or a live tooling or the spindle's going to articulate or I think it's going to become commonplace. I think the three axis CNC is going to become kind of a dinosaur.
1: It'll be a three axis additive manufacturing and machining center. If it's three axis,
0: it'll probably do multitasks. Yeah, yes.
1: exactly. Exactly.
2: I think manufacturing technology in general is getting more efficient and manufacturers are getting better at deploying it and additive figures into that. But I think the overall efficiency advance of manufacturing technology is going to encourage domestic production. That's what we want. Right? Yeah, and, and rah, I think rah. I hey, mean
0: that's no, really. I mean it's all it's all about it. Wouldn't you really love to see a manufacturing renaissance in this country? It's what we want, just
2: as you say. But it's happening. I mean, It is going on right now. Yeah, it is going on right now. Yeah, uh, I am very bullish about the the prospects for. American manufacturing in the future. I I mean, and I think you guys are too. We are. Uh, So maybe we we can like
1: do a little small caveat into the manufacturing news. And this is something that, you know, Jim and I talked about just briefly. But um, do you think that the the candidates at this point in time need to talk more about manufacturing um, from a political perspective?
0: Boy, good question. Careful. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We're not talking, I mean, no, No, we're not talking political parties here. We're just talking in general. Do the candidates in the political area, you know, do you see manufacturing as being a certain Topic that should always be a part of um, what they talk about.
0: You're asking Pete,
1: right? Yeah, I can ask you too, Jim. Well, Go. Of
0: course, I agree. Yeah. Of course, I think that they should be talking about it more. I, th- you know, does that? It, it's does, a fundamental value of this country, and if if we lose that, you know, not, every, not everyone can work at Starbucks. You know what I mean? We we need to make stuff. We, you know, yeah, yes, absolutely.
1: Do, do you think that it detracts from? you wanting to vote for a particular candidate. And, you know, we're not talking political party, we're talking very generalities could be anywhere from president to your local, you know, congressman, does it if he never talks about manufacturing, are you less likely to vote for that person? Yes, of
0: course. Okay. Okay. Yeah, of course. You know, it's my life. It's my, you know, I've got a lot invested in this. And I'm passionate about it. I've got a lot of moving, you know, Circles around it with me. Yeah, it's definitely. We, we, I mean, we should almost decision. be
1: communicating that to our friends and our neighbors that aren't yes, in the manufacturing yes. industry and say, you know, this is important, and you know, the candidates should be talking about this, and you should be aware of it. That you know, your job as a lawyer, there's, you know, could be somewhere down the line that you're dependent we, on the manufacturing jobs service, here.
0: We can't just be an
1: all-service country. Couldn't agree we more. Have
0: to make something,
1: it's funny because most people that aren't in the manufacturing industry think that we can be just a I service know. oriented, and it's so frustrating. It is. You
0: know, it's very frustrating.
2: So. I'm with you. I love the fact that elected officials feel like they need to pander to manufacturing now. That is a very nice. Oh, trade. Oh, I agree with you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Here's the, the one thing about aspiring office holders talking about manufacturing is they have a dated picture of what manufacturing actually sure, is. Sure. Yes. I think an, it's starting
1: to change, though, too. You know, because like the people that are their handlers and, you know, they're starting to take them to the more advanced manufacturing companies that aren't the dirty places because they don't want to go there.
2: These these politicians don't want to get dirty. Let's be honest. Well, here's here's what I think of when I say that. So another thing that I feel really privileged about in my position is I get to tell this story in manufacturing that's not being seen. Business media reports on manufacturing and politicians' attentions to manufacturing, it seems to me, tend to focus on large facilities yeah. because the media has access to information about those facilities. The politicians have access to those facilities, Those people too. make bigger donations, usually. Manufacturing happens in small facilities. Amen. Uh, yes, amen. It does. Amen to that. At least 60% of U.S. metalworking facilities are under 50 employees. 60%, percent six zero. 0 uh, So that, that's a, my understanding is it's more than 60%, but at least 60% of U.S. metalworking facilities are under 50 employees. And we don't hear about that A, because, as I say, the media doesn't – there's no way for them to get their arms around that. These big, well-known manufacturing companies with big facilities have have media relations people and public affairs office that can make these kind of contacts – So as a result, you wouldn't understand how much of modern manufacturing is in small shops from what you're seeing. And I don't think that the politicians necessarily understand that. A word that makes me wince a little bit is factory. How much manufacturing is really being done in facilities that could fittingly be described as factory? So we should eliminate the word factory. We should
0: eliminate. Let's cross it off. I agree. Okay. So there are factories. Okay. So we're
1: we're making a deliberate statement on making chips (laughs) that the word factory is going to be stricken from the
0: dictionary. We're going to try. We're going to try our best.
2: And so – Uh, The elected officials who maybe don't know any better, they promote manufacturing in the hope of creating single facilities with tons of manufacturing jobs. And those facilities exist, don't get me wrong, but increasingly manufacturing is smaller teams overseeing a lot of technology and delivering a lot of value kind of anonymously almost.
1: I agree. So let's go back to um, additive manufacturing, the, the reason that we're here, but that, that was a great discussion. So um, we're talking um, prototyping versus production, and you talked a little bit about the production facility. I assume that that, that facility with the, the 100 3D printers are doing production work. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, well, it depends on what you mean. So production. I mean high quantities, high um, quantities per part. No, probably not. Oh, they're not. You think uh, they're still doing some uh, low volume? So a likely scenario is a functional prototype, which might mean one part, might mean a limited run of like 50 parts. Uh, but when you say high volume, actually above a certain volume threshold additive manufacturing does not compete very well is it can you quantify that level so i don't know that i can because that would be very geometry dependent of course i wouldn't
0: wouldn't say it
2: but i'll say this this is what i'll say oftentimes the question is asked is additive a competitor to machining and i think that's almost entirely the wrong way to look it's not fair it's not a fair question if a part is made through machining today and if the design of that part is proven and stable, it's likely that part is going to continue to be machined in the future. And if it's a high volume part, it's overwhelmingly likely to be machined in the future because the efficiency of machining is just really hard to compete That's with. Yeah. So, true. Uh, so true. The the reality is. Additive does not do its adding anywhere near as fast as machining can do its subtracting. The way to think about additive, you know, in a way, let me say this. Pete, can I quote you on that? I love that. <laughs> I do. Too. I do.
0: I, did you make that up? Was that, is that say yours? that one more time. <laughs> no, it, it's, I think it I needs think it's to a, be reiterated. I think, great, I think it's a great statement. Because I could, I could visualize yeah, I it
2: as he it. said it. I told, say so that say one more time please. for us. All right, let me try to say that. Okay, again. go Pete. <laughs> additive cannot do its adding anywhere near as fast as machining can do its subtracting. In a way, additive manufacturing is the best term we've come up with for this class of processes. In a way, additive is a little bit unfortunate as an adjective because it sets up this picture that there's this yin-yang additive versus subtractive. The truth of the matter is an additive part is a near-net shape part an additive part, particularly in metal, is almost certainly going to require machining. Mm-hmm. Uh, additive is not great at precise holes. It's not good at fine tolerances. It's not good at smooth finishes. yet those improvements are coming, but still- will they ever get to
1: the level of machining? Um, your close tolerance machining I probably think, not. I, I can't imagine it could, but you know, maybe so we'll maybe I, we'll all be dead and gone
2: by that. Oh, I think know? yeah, I think either we'll wait a long time for that, or an unanticipated technology breakthrough. Yeah, something other than additive. Sure. But keep in mind, we we take for granted near net shape parts today. We use casting, we use forging, additive manufacturing figures into that. It allows a near net shape part to be made in a tooling less process mm-hmm. there's no die involved um, so that allows for smaller quantities and it also because you're growing the part layer by layer it allows for design freedoms that you can't practically achieve any other way yeah it, but it's still going to be machined and there's still going to be work for machine tools absolutely. yeah it, it,
1: it kind of it's kind of this is kind of a funny thing and I hope I hope this is relevant but it reminds me of I remember this there was this buzz around this news article that went out with because this guy had created an additive manufactured house. Did you hear about this? No. But the question is, would you live in that house? And no, you wouldn't. I mean, how could you live in this house? How could it be made to the same quality and you know usability that a a traditional. I mean, yeah, I'm not, Jim's looking squinting at me. I'm, no, I'm no. not joking. Somebody, you, my eyes are glazing <laughs> over. <laughs> Somebody no. additive manufactured a house. I know it's the craziest thing. And they want to mass produce these houses that are made on some kind of oh, additive, God. custom-made additive
2: machine. Well, oh, there's this search going on for what will prove to be the niches that additive manufacturing can really deliver in. And that search um, includes some things that, yeah, on the face of it, maybe look a little bit absurd. Some of those absurd things are really going to pan out. Some of them we're going to look back on and shake our heads. And this is the story of every technology that comes into its own. When composites were new, there were people, there were grave and serious people talking about are we going to get to a point where we have an all composites aircraft so it is pretty easy to see that that is an absurd and unworkable idea now but those kind of conversations happen in the past and those and we're not really sure where those conversations are happening in additive we're finding that out
1: So, Pete, I'd like you to give a call to action to our listeners. Somebody is new to additive manufacturing. They're concerned about it. They want to know what direction to go into. What do you recommend would be the first step to at least putting additive more on their mind and understanding it better? Besides listening to this podcast, of course. Yeah,
2: well, Jason, that question was a setup. Thank you for that. I'm an editor with a publication called Additive Manufacturing. We launched this publication uh, about four years ago as a small supplement to Modern Machine Shop. The amount to talk about in additive manufacturing and the reader interest in additive manufacturing is such that this year we've expanded that to a full size magazine. Great, nice. Um, so, and that we, along with that, to directly to your question, Jason, we've launched a new website, industrial focused additive manufacturing. The URL is it's pretty simple: manufacturing dot media. Um, so that, extent- dot com exactly. dot that extension is the only weird part about it. Additivemanufacturing.media. We've been adding new content there every day. Go there to learn about the magazine and how to subscribe, but also go there just to read about how manufacturers are succeeding and struggling with additive manufacturing. So
1: should they be expecting like additive manufacturing 101 or more of a um, master level, level additive manufacturing?
2: Uh, so we've got some of that 101 stuff there. We try to do that what we try to do most of all is engage with companies who are succeeding or trying to succeed with additive manufacturing i like that trying to succeed exactly. that's good that's less intimidating well, let me, so and and we made a conscious decision with this publication we're not going to be cheerleaders for additive manufacturing we're going to uh, you'll see you're us share, i like that you're yeah. going to be yeah. sharing
1: information you want to be authentic about yeah. what's going on
2: well yes. so you'll see yeah you'll see us talk about successes with additive and we'll try to kind of unpack what led to those successes but we want to talk about the failures too because right. that's going on as well and there's a real that's part of the advance and part of the learning process absolutely great hey, love pete, it. It. it's it been
0: great having you on the show it's beyond my expectations and how, how the conversation went but if you want to get a, a hold of pete or or connect with them best bet would be on linkedin right pete Yeah, I like LinkedIn LinkedIn is a good you can search for Peter P-E-T-E-R Zelinsky. that's Z-E-L-I-N-S-K-I again Modern Machine Shop magazine is M-M-S also Pete mentioned additive manufacturing dot media thank you Pete
2: oh thank you it's been a real pleasure yeah uh, we
0: enjoyed
1: it thank you we'd like to have you back sometime too
2: and bam I actually like Nutella and peanut butter. That's yeah. my preference. So chocolate and peanut butter, like that's a commercial reference of I like dating myself with. That? I have no idea what you're talking about. So what <laughs> you don't please, please do. Wait tell. a
0: minute. You don't know what he's talking about? Chocolate and peanut butter. In Shout the past, you know, Jason, they
2: used to have broadcast TV and there were these commercials <laughs> in it. There was no, no, never heard. Right. Oh. Right. Doesn't know he's what a commercial a- is either.